Well, just because it's Friday doesn't mean we're not going to be working. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, interesting news and fun news out there, but there is news out of Minneapolis where the Derek Chauvin trial, the man accused of killing George Floyd, is uh, going through the jury selection phase. And uh, we talked about this earlier this week, and I talked with our buddy Wendy Patrick, attorney, author, radio host, just one of the greatest people ever. And uh, I, I like to pick Wendy's brain on stuff like this because she understands it from all her experience in courtrooms. So, Wendy, I'm glad you're here and can help us understand. Thank you. Oh, it's always a pleasure. The topics that we discuss are always so interesting. Yeah, there's one. There's a wild one I want to ask you about. Maybe we'll get to it. But this this story is growing. And you said earlier that it might be two to three weeks before all this is done. But at the end of Thursday, they have six jurors seated. And I understand they usually need 15 or 14 because you have to have alternates and all that. Uh, the breakdown right now is five men and one woman. And among them, they've done a racial breakdown. This comes from Paul Blum. He's a Fox News reporter. Um, three white, one Hispanic, one black, one multiracial which always seems weird to me that they have to, you know, post race on this. But, you know, we're all obsessed with it. The defense has used seven out of 15 strikes and the state has used four of nine. And they'll be back in court tomorrow. Now, um, from those numbers with five men and one woman, we're just past like a third of what they're going to need. Is it weird the defense has used so many strikes? No, it never really is. You know, it, when you're picking a jury, gosh, I mean, you talk about a, a challenging task in a normal case. I say normal, meaning not high profile. When you're trying to pick a jury in the fishbowl where everybody is watching, uh, it is enormously uh, important that you really screen these people very well. And the, the trick, Mike, you, you don't have a limited number of challenges for cause. You do have a limited number of what's called peremptory challenges, and that's what you've been talking a little bit about. But if you are representing somebody that you're worried about jurors having prejudged the case, because that's what we do in the court of public opinion, right? We arrest, we try, and we charge, and we convict people before they ever get to a court of law. Yes. So finally, we're in a court of law here. You can imagine it's an uphill battle finding jurors that haven't already prejudged this case. So when you do that, you are going to be exercising a lot of challenges. Uh, you, you probably wish you had an unlimited amount, not just of challenges for cause but also of peremptory challenges, because it's very difficult to be able to pick a jury in a case that has received this, this much scrutiny over the last year. It has been a sustained amount of scrutiny for a long period of time. Yeah, it's been insane, the amount of coverage it's received, and now it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and it's going to be going on for a while. Uh, one of the guys over at One America News Network, Jack Posobiec, uh, a blue check mark on the Twitter reports that Chauvin's lawyers have tracked down all of the pro Black Lives Matter social media posts of potential jurors and are reading them back to people who are going through the selection process. Have you seen social media being used to include or exclude potential jurors? 
Oh, it's one of the it's one of the number one ways in which lawyers are able to decide whether or not they want to select certain jurors. You know, the the question usually isn't can you use social media? Should you use social media? But how do you do it in time if you're picking a jury quickly? When you have cases like this where jury selection actually goes on for an extended period of time, you have the luxury of investigating who's going to be on your panel. You know, some of the most sensational high profile cases in the nation over the last decade have excused jurors because what they've been saying on social media completely contradicts what they're claiming in the courtroom. And you, we could say that with anybody. I mean, social media is sort of a lie detector on many levels for many different types of reasons. You know, family members, who is on vacation, who isn't, how are you spending your free time? If you're a potential juror, uh, you take an oath in the courtroom to tell the truth. And if it is in contradiction to what you've represented online, Obviously, this is the kind of thing that lawyers want to explore. And it doesn't bode well for your ability to be seated on a case if you don't have that level of consistency. You know, I, I'm hearing that and I'm reading something. that There's a report on one person identified as Juror 41, a woman who was quickly dismissed for cause because she told the court she did not believe she could be impartial. And she described the George Floyd death as having a significant impact on her life. And she now volunteers at a nonprofit uh, to to help with societal change. Usually, if you you know, I always wonder if I'm being called for jury duty, if I tell the judge, I don't think I can be fair. I'm worried they're going to tell me, well, you're going to have to be fair. You got to stay here, little mister. Uh, this is this an unusual situation? Someone actually no, telling no, you would never be kept in a courtroom if you said you couldn't be fair. And, you know, what we worry about, and I picked over 100 jurors in my own cases, what we worry about is that jurors know that's a way to get out of jury duty. In the real world, we would never keep somebody that said they couldn't be fair. That would be the antithesis of the reason we have jury selection. What we worry about more than that, though, Mike, because that's the easy case. We worry more about somebody that has all the indicia of never being able to be fair. They either had a bad experience with cops, they are a leader uh, in the you know, justice for George Floyd movement, any of the things that either side would say, boy, they certainly sound like they've already made up their mind. When someone like that says, but I can be fair. That is what really worries lawyers. <laughs> That's what peremptory challenges are for, Mike. <laughs> Anytime the butt comes out. I, right, right. I get However, nervous in light of all the foregoing I can nonetheless be fair uh no nobody's gonna take that chance <laughs> but for your history you're excluded right uh, you're yeah. out of there uh, the we, problem with that Mike though is you have to burn a peremptory because that's not a challenge for cause a judge will say well you know you heard her she said she could be fair yeah, boy, that's interesting. That's a, this process fascinates me, and I half wish I could be there, but I know I'd be there forever and ever and ever. Wendy, we didn't talk about it. I got a couple minutes left here. The site where um, George Floyd died, where he was killed or died, depending on which story you believe, um, there has been violence there constantly for the last week, including a, a shooting that took someone's life last Saturday but there's still, I, I just, I don't know how Minneapolis keeps a lid on this, but it seems like this is a tinderbox waiting to explode. And we're hearing family members say, uh, it'll be okay as long as we get the right verdict. Uh, 
I, I'm really nervous for Minneapolis, you know, as the weather's warm. If this happened in the winter and the trial happened in the dead of winter and the temperatures are like minus minus 10 below zero, I don't think there's as much of a chance as people going out and causing trouble. But I'm very nervous that this verdict will come out after the spring and the weather is warm. And if it's as the uh, George Floyd's family has said, if it's not the right verdict, Minneapolis is burning down again. I'm real nervous. You know, it, language like that makes everybody nervous. You know, why don't we just seal the verdict and we'll open it next January when we have another polar vortex? I, I feel your your uh, apprehension, and so does everybody that lives in that city. In fact, it's not just Minneapolis. Remember what really characterized those protests last summer is they were all over the nation. Um, this was not in any way, shape, or form confined to that city, although you're correct that it might get the brunt of it. But it reminds me of some of the other cases that we've seen over the course of the last year, where you've also seen language like that. I don't know whether that was inartful or uh, whether it was intentional. Sometimes you don't know. Um, but we want to make sure that regardless of what that jury does, I mean, they, they're brave to go in there and say, hey, we're going to sit on this jury. We certainly don't want whatever they decide, because it's going to be based on the evidence in the courtroom, to cause that type of apprehension in the community. What distinguishes the jurors in the courtroom from all of the armchair jurors outside the courtroom is the jurors in the courtroom are the only ones that are actually seeing the evidence that's admissible in the case. Not what people are saying the evidence might show, but what actually is gonna be presented in the courtroom. And I hope we give deference to their verdict. Week one in the books, Wendy, week one in the books, and we will be following this and leaning on you. You should lean on Wendy, too. Go to wendypatrickphd.com. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Mike.